0: And Welcome to this special bonus episode of the Dark Material Podcast, where we'll be cutting through into a bunch of questions from you listeners, sometimes subtly,
1: and sometimes not so much. From questions to answers, join us in this Q&A journey into the dark. I'm Ian.
0: And I'm Amy. And this week, we'll be answering some of your burning questions. I think you've uh, you've set us up for a fall there, Ian, by saying that there will be both questions and answers. I'm not sure if we'll be able to answer some of these questions.
1: There will be words. Depends there, on the definition words. of answer, Amy. Oh, wow. Well. Uh, yeah, it's been a while. It's actually it has. been a long while been a long since while. the last Q&A uh, because we're lazy. No.
0: We're just, we're, we're just a bit disorganised.
1: And disorganised. So yeah, sorry about that. Some of these go back a long way. Yeah. Um, but there is one element of, I would hope, justifiable excuse here, in that we're trying to keep a lot of these questions spoiler free. Yeah. So some of them we haven't been able to get to because we just haven't got to that part in the book. Yeah, Again, because we're fucking slow
0: yeah uh, <laughs> and it's it's always nicer to be able to answer it fully for everyone so yes. there's definitely a few questions where it's like we've hmm, mm, been mm, hanging mm. on to that one for a while yep yep yep. but uh yeah if you're happy to wait for a while and you do have questions or comments <laughs> yeah. please do get in contact with us via the usual means the at gmail.com or at any of our social media things.
1: at dark material pod on twitter
0: and at the dark material podcast on instagram and on facebook yeah yeah Those, those are our things. I think possibly, even though we say it every episode, I never remember it.
1: No. So we're now not reading the script. Professional. (laughs) Gone off feast. I have no idea. (laughs) At the dark pod? No. Wait.
0: (laughs) Who are we? I don't know. (laughs) But before we do all of that, as this is a bonus episode, we'd also just like to give a shout out to our amazing patrons. Thank you very much for your support. It really means a lot. And for enabling us to donate to one of our favourite charities, which 10% of our donations go to, which is the World Land Trust. And Ian, we, we found out an interesting fact this morning about the World Land Trust, well, tenuously. Okay. Very tenuously.
1: It's not about... That. well, unless I'm thinking of the, the other fact. But yeah, if anyone uh, like me is a beleaguered hay fever sufferer...
0: He's not just a hay fever sufferer, he is a beleaguered hay fever sufferer. Oh, much oh, beleaguered sure. and
1: embattled and besieged by <laughs> the pollen. This year has been apparently super bad, and there's kind of an interesting reason for that. That, Well, I guess two things. In cities, people tend to plant male trees. Mm. Basically so that you don't get fruit everywhere. Messing up pavements, leaving rotting fruit and flies and wasps and whatever else. So in cities, you tend to get more male trees than female. Obviously it's the males that produce all pollen.
0: Yeah, they just dump it out there.
1: Yeah, so cities are actually where you're more likely to get hay fever through overexposure. I guess as a kid, and then Mm -hmm. your immune system goes, ah, fuck all of this, forever. Mm -hmm. So anyway, hay fever has been particularly bad. It's bad in cities. And an extra reason that it's bad in cities is because cities tend to be warmer. Yeah. And I guess more humid, maybe less airflow and all that kind of stuff. Which encourages trees to release more pollen. Ah, and uh, in cities there tends to be more carbon dioxide. You know, you've got buildings bleeding carbon dioxide out from concrete and Mm -hmm. obviously cars and maybe people. Don't know how much that's true, but anyway, I'm going to say it's very true. So you've got these few things that make trees produce more pollen that seem to occur in cities, but where else does this happen, Amy? Where else is this trend of hotter, more carbon dioxide driving, you know, changes uh, uh, in, let's say, a world-like area? The world? Yeah, that's right, climate <laughs> change, Wee! Globally. That
0: is our worst link ever.
1: It's quite bad. But uh yeah, one factor to why hay fever or pollen counts may be getting higher over time is climate change. Because yeah. climate change makes everything better.
0: So if your hay fever's been bad, we just need to sort out climate change, that's the easy solution. Yeah, Don't that's just the quickest, like yeah. pop a bit of serotonine or whatever Coterozine. it's called. <laughs>
1: Yeah.
0: Then you know, we just solve solve climate change.
1: Mm-hmm. Easy peasy. And move out of cities.
0: And move out of cities. And get some
1: more fruit trees involved. Yeah. Um,
0: and if you're planting a male tree, always plant a female tree next to it because they absorb the pollen. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, that's my phone. Cool. That's just the World Land Trust texting me to say, "What a great advert for our work!" <laughs> oh yeah, it's we... so relevant. <laughs> Should we do
1: that segue? So, as Amy said, from all Patreon donations, we give ten percent to the World Land Trust, yes. which is a charity focused on tackling climate change, also preserving areas of biodiversity and important well regions of the world like coastal rainforests mm-hmm. and habitats for endangered species Mm -hmm. Um, so it is geared around general environmental conservation but also with a mind to trying to abate and avoid climate change yeah so if you want to find out more about the world land trust you can visit them at www.worldlandtrust.org uh, we've got a bunch of information about the various campaigns and uh, projects that are underway. You can buy an acre of land, you can invest in one of their uh, key projects, such as uh, the Borneo Orangutan Corridors, which is preserving parts of the forests of Kinbangdantang... Tang. Uh, fuck.
0: <laughs> you can do it, I believe in it's you. It's never man. gonna
1: happen anyway. I believe in you. Kinabatangang, floodplain. Come on! Yeah, don't know if it was right, but it sounded good.
0: Yeah, it does sound good. Anyway,
1: you can check them out at worldlandtrust.org, and they do some great work. They do, which our patrons are contributing to. So, as a huge thank you to our patrons, we'd like to extend a special thanks to Lanny Lim, Annika Greber, Milen, Girls Cannon, J C, Edie Cheng, Lynn Yelseng, Rachel Laid, Ilzy, Ross,
0: Mackenzie M, Stephen Lynch, Anais van Urtfelder, James Ort. Kathy H, Catherine A, Ellie, and Nina. Thanks so much to all of you for supporting us. It means the world to us. And for those of you who are at Panzer beyond level, uh, there's a little drawing flying its way over to you mm. right now uh, that I'm working on, which is very exciting. So yeah, if you want to be part of this group, then you can find us at patreon.com forward slash podcast. And also should say, for anyone who wants to do a one-off bit of support, we have actually recommended to a few people who've asked about that Mm. Just donate directly to the World land Trust and we'll sort of include that <laughs> as part of our here is the impact that we're making sort of report course! Oh
2: Christ that's, that's the best the way that
0: That's the best way that we're uh, we're recommending that at the moment because Patreon is obviously they don't really do one-off support but if that's something mm-hmm. you're interested in do let us know and we can arrange that with you maybe sort things out with you that'd be great- mm-hmm. uh,
1: yeah and just to say what we actually do or have on patreon we have a range of tiers, so you could sign up as a zruff or dust particle, right the way through galavespians Vespians, Pansibion, Bene Ilim, or angels, right through to being a demon of the podcast. Uh, and at each tier you get a sort of range of different benefits, mm-hmm. and as Amy's already talked about, uh, for Pansibjorn, uh, you will get a hand-drawn picture from Amy.
0: Of your demon, of mm-hmm. your choice. Yes.
1: So anyway, yes, you can check us out at patreon.com slash Podcast. and thank you so much to the list of our current patrons who've uh, helped us on the journey so
0: far. Yes, thank you very much. So without further ado, let's go straight to a question from one of those very special people, Jane, who got in contact to actually give us some information that we totally struggled on mm. which was uh one of the milton quotes recently mentioned something about bulls and we were like we don't know what bulls are obviously not the animal uh,
1: the northern accent is harming you there amy what bull or bull bull oh, as in ball or bull. Bu- a bull a bu- bull a bull it's just people bulls <laughs> it's just people bulls well how
0: would you pronounce it bulls that's that to me, like, that sounds like you're saying balls. Not, not balls. Bulls. Balls.
1: There you go.
0: No, bull. The rest of
1: this podcast would just be Amy saying balls.
0: <laughs> bull. Bull. Bulls. Bull. Excellent.
1: <laughs> That's obviously what is papal, you. What is a papal bull, Amy?
0: <laughs> so, um, Jane got in contact saying this is about something called, probably about something called papal bulls. Not papal balls. <laughs> We're yeah, not talking about yeah. the Pope's balls. That's a different thing. Which are orders or edicts. So pretty important. So mm. thank you very much, Jane, for letting us know about that because we struggled. It was really interesting actually, and I looked up like why why are they called bulls? <laughs>
2: why and are they? actually,
0: interestingly Ian, it comes from the Latin bulla. Mm. Which does mean not like bull, a bulla. Ra- right? not ball, yeah. no. And it's used to describe bull in generally. is used to describe any kind of physical token of authentication that would be attached to a formal document to verify that a certain person has signed it. Mm. So if you can imagine the classic uh, seal of approval sort of wax stamp example, where you have a particular seal which would be used to imprint in wax, which you see in kind of historical mm-hmm. uh, fictional re- uh, things or whatever all the time or in like official formal proper documents... It's like that, but the embossed thing that you use to make the print in the wax, that is the bull, which is just physically attached to the document with a piece of string or cord. So it's really cool. It's actually a little physical lead or um, other metal, sometimes gold thing, that's attached to the document. Uh, And the papal ones have St. Peter on one side and St. Paul, and then the actual uh, illustration of the Pope who's approved it as well. They look really cool. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, those are the ones that were flying around mm. in that little extract from Milton.
1: Very good. I like the Latin as well. Yeah, anything, obviously, you always with like a the like cheeky the Latin. bit of Latin. It's great. Yeah. Uh, we also got an email from listener Ronit. Hi, Hi Ronit. Ronit. <laughs> it's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> so, this was uh, certainly, from my perspective, a fantastic email. Yeah. Because it goes into all of the determinism stuff that we've talked about before and catches a really interesting, like, not contradiction, Mm. but um, point of confusion, I guess, in having multiple worlds, then also having a prophesied person, because aren't there millions of them? Mm. Um, And so I've kind of, apologies, I've broken this down into my pithy and probably incomplete version of your very eloquent and well thought through email, but effectively, are there multiple Lyra's?
0: These are, the so these are the questions,
1: questions posed in the Rinna's email, asking, and then I've yeah. got, uh, and well, then renna has got their own thoughts, then I've got mine as well. Uh, so, are there multiple liars, given the multiverse? If yes, can any of them actually fail in their task, in their prophecy? So, mm. when tempted, do they just say no? Or does the temptator, no, temptator <laughs> the tempter, never <laughs> get there? If that's the case, isn't it all a bit pointless? Mm. Because you've got this big thing of, oh, it's the prophecy person, but what if in some cases they can fail, and then those worlds become these interlocking autonomous machines and blah, 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 Whereas actually, no, but therefore across all universes, there is a preordained outcome. So, every single Lyra is preordained to ultimately succeed. Mm. In which case, you know, the whole determination... Or to thing, fail. Blah, blah. Uh, yes. No. As in, there are millions of Lyras, none of them will ever fail.
0: Well, if, the, pro- just... if the prophecy is that she will succeed, but we only know the yes. prophecy is that
1: she will be tempted. She will be tempted. I suppose so. Yes. And maybe the choice is hers and free will and yada yada yada. Mm.
0: My mind's already bending.
1: Yeah, or, or, or <laughs> sorry, the, the final bit of that is kind of, uh, there may be millions of lyras, mm. but there is only one that's actually the prophesied mm-hmm. one. And the yeah. rest are, nah, <laughs> lyrish. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I just kind of love this. And maybe there is some quality to lyra that links them all. Um, so is there some facet of, of Lyra as this kind of prophesied child that is just true in all universes, um, like a kind of prophetic lodestone
0: oh. quality if you like, you
1: know, the, like quantum entanglement, all the Lyras yeah. have this quality about them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as I said before, alternatively maybe there's only one Lyra to rule them all, uh, and there <laughs> may be billions of others, but only you know one particular universe's outcome actually matters in the sort of grand cosmic sense, mm. which is kind of cool and interesting.
0: So there's infinite Lyra's, but only one of them. Yeah. Oh, brain melt. Yes. And I have to say, uh, this is one of the emails that we've been sitting on for quite a while because we wanted to get a little bit further into the Amber Spyglass before discussing it. Mm -hmm. Because there are, I think there's still things in this email that we probably can't talk about. Oh, yeah,
1: I should say, yeah, there are a few bits that I've deliberately not covered there. Keeping it to Lyra, but yes.
0: But thank you so much for this email because yeah, really interesting. it was really cool and i occasionally reread it and go brain melt yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs>
0: or think about it in different parts that we've been reading so one of the bits is where will for example is i think in this book and one of the recent chapters has been thinking about well you know i wonder if i think it's when he's trying to work out what to do and he's thinking about all the infinite possibilities and how if he doesn't take one option then that root in his life is effectively extinguished mm-hmm. so he just has to kind of keep going on and i do think about that in terms of him just thinking and thinking and thinking and creating multiple wills by the microsecond in terms of what they would do mm. i will mm. say as well with that lyra-ness there is an element to which with the prophecy there are almost checkpoints or little quality gates that she has to pass <laughs> to be yeah. to be the Lyra that is the prophesied Lyra. Mm-hmm. So there will be Lyras in other world, I think, who would then not be captured in the prophecy because if, for instance, she mm-hmm. hadn't learned to read the alethiometer and then couldn't do certain things, then she wouldn't be the prophesied Lyra. Yes. There's certain things about how Seraphina Pecola recognizes her as the Lyra, mm-hmm. which... If other multiverse Lyra's hadn't done, then she wouldn't be prof- They wouldn't be prophecy Lyra. Yeah. So if we think about infinite Lyra's, there's a proportion of those infinite Lyra's that would be prophecy Lyra's. Yeah. And there's a proportion of them that wouldn't be.
1: Yeah. Or we'll take it to an extreme, and there's only one that actually passes every single one of the like infinite filters that might knock her off course yeah. at one point. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Cool, isn't it?
0: It's very cool. Mm. I like the idea of one Lyra to rule them all, though. Yeah, yeah. And that that is definitely the Lyra that we're hearing about and yeah. being written about. Yeah. Hmm. Great question. Thank yes, you so much. Yes. That's lots to chew over there. Yep,
1: yeah, thanks all right.
0: So we also got another great question from Joe. Hi Joe. Hi Joe. Hi. Uh and this was actually off the back of us struggling with time and space at the beginning of this book and actually we were having a discussion on Twitter with Lo about this. Hi Hello. Lo. Uh <laughs> That is great, actually. Is, is this
1: now the thing that we do? <laughs> I
0: guess it is, yeah. And basically we are talking to Lo about it, and they were suggesting how the physical differences and space could work between Lyra's world and Will's world, and how Will can travel at different... Basically how, how Mrs. Coulter gets to the cave is very confusing. But anyway, and Joe was kind of seeing all that happen... Uh, And those discussions going on and thought, "Mm, lots of thoughts. And so (laughs) put it all down in an email. And again, a very, very good email, which we're just going to go through blow by blow, because there's a lot of quite good points in there. So Joe starts out with what we definitely know, which is the idea that there is a thinner space between worlds where the Aurora is, Mm -hmm. and that before Lord Asriel blowing everything up, you always had to go via Chittagatsi so that the world of Chittagatsi therefore must have what Joe calls a unique spatial existence in being able to basically be this gateway to lots of different worlds
2: mm-hmm.
0: rather than you being able to go straight between worlds. But then the, the Lord Asriel's anomaly and blowing everything up kind of changes that, which yep. is very interesting.
1: Yeah, so I guess the point there is that Chittagatsi, you could... Move, let's say, from Svalbard and Lyra's world into Chittagatsi, and then step immediately out of Chittagatsi into Mumbai, yeah. the Will's world. Because yeah. Chittagatsi has a weird, like, spatial element in how it connects other worlds.
0: Yes, because mm-hmm. Charles Latram, for instance, can presumably... Well, we know from Svalbard in the Aurora, you can see Chittagatsi itself, yeah. but then also Charles Latram slash Lord Boreal can go from Chittagatsi... Yeah into Oxford, also yeah. in Lyra's world, and into Oxford in Will's world.
1: Despite being, LC, Despite being able to see
0: from Svalbard. Gotcha. So there's like a weird bending of space there mm-hmm. in Chittagatze mm-hmm. itself, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. But then after Asra blows everything up, there does seem to be a more close relationship between Chittagatze and Will's Oxford because there's a whole thing about like the 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 heist where they're cutting through in the subtle mm. knife and it's all, like, mm-hmm. very close together. So then taking, after everything's blown up, then taking what we know about that uh, and Chittagatsi in, in particular, Joe suggests that maybe Lyra's world has been kind of concertina a little bit because it seems like people like Mrs. Coulter mm-hmm. can cut out huge distances by going through Chittagatsi and that maybe the fact that the... Anomaly or Lord Asriel blowing stuff up from Lyra's world has affected the spatial relationship of Lyra's world to other worlds. Mm-hmm. Whereas Chittagatsi and Wills Oxford match Remain. perfectly. Mm-hmm. Yes. Lyra's world seems to be the ones that is a bit messed up. Or maybe other worlds are a bit messed up in relation to Chittagatsi and it's just mm. Chittagatsi and Wills Oxford that are mm-hmm. very close together. So it's all super confusing. And I think Joe gets to the point towards the end of his email where... He has confused himself into many knots, as he puts it. (laughs) But yeah, there's one final little idea that he came up with. I say little idea, it's quite a big idea. Which is if Asriel's world, so the one where he's building his fortress and stuff, possibly was forced into existence at the point at which he blew up the Mm -hmm. worlds and therefore disrupted everything spatially, Mm -hmm. like as some possible theory about why the space of everything is changed when yeah. he blows things up, which I really like as an idea mm. because we don't barren. really know much about Azriel's world but it does more or less seem to be like...
1: Barren and devoid
0: and stuff as well. Yeah, mm. and also time seems to work differently there, which is super interesting. Yeah. So mm.
1: if he's messed
0: up the space-time continuum mm-hmm. in some way, I'm using that phrase without really knowing what it means, mm. but you know, <laughs> just yeah. bandying that around, that's really cool. So my goodness, there's lots to go on there, Joe, but really like you're stepping through of those thoughts yeah. and I think there's quite a lot to think about. There is also a little spoilery thing which we'll come back to way, way, way later
1: yes. at the end of the yes, email. Yes, that's the last point we can't really cover now. No, no we can't. No, we can't. Um,
0: but, it does, I, I, but, I, the, but the last point, not without spoiling anything, is basically that there are some worlds where they seem to have an even completely different relationship in terms of space to other worlds.
1: Hmm, yeah. Yeah.
0: So it's complicated.
1: I do think with all of this though, yeah. and this goes back to the first point as well, and our general machinations about, oh, is Larry the only one? What about the millions of Larys? blah blah blah? I do kind of think, unlike writers maybe like Tolkien, mm. where internal world consistency, language use, how the etymology of X relates to Y, the chronology of this person being the grandfather of this person who's then the uncle of that person, and blah, pff, is all supposed to be very accurate and super on point, and I think there are very few inconsistencies. I do think Pullman is just a bit like, eh, I don't know, you know, just fucking...
0: Ah, oh, weird physics I stuff. Don't yeah,
1: no, no. Expo- I don't I think it's Yeah, no, no, I don't think so. I think it's a mistake and like, the fact that you can see Chittagatsby from Svalbard and yet it's supposed to correlate to other worlds. I think in Pullman's mind, I-, I think, all the worlds basically are variations on planet Earth with the same distances between them. You cut through from A to B, from world A to B, and you are in the same sort of coordinates on the yeah. surface of the Earth. Yeah. And all the differences to do with the biology and is there a river there or not? You know, is it a rainforest or is it a savannah or blah, blah, blah. is because of all the quirks of how bits of geology have changed and where the meteorites have hit and how evolution has taken past and blah, 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 blah. I think, this is just my own reading, I don't think Pullman's gone as deep as, oh, maybe space-time acts differently between different worlds.
0: I sort of agree,
1: yeah. I, I think the idea is supposed to be that there is geographical... Continuousness, mm-hmm. contiguity,
0: continuity,
1: continuity, that's right, yeah. like, uh, between all the worlds. Yeah. And these anomalies are just like Foreman kind of fucking up.
0: Yeah, I sort of agree, but I also may, maybe I wouldn't go as far as say it's, it's fucking up because I just think that he leaves it intentionally vague because he either doesn't think that it's an important part of the story so doesn't want to focus on it too much or because he wants to leave it vague f- to allow people to speculate. Sure, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It's fucking up in the sense of if you were trying to do a Tolkien and yes. create perfect consistency, yes. then this clearly isn't it. But I don't think that's actually what he was ever trying to do. It's certainly not his core interest. No. So, yes. I love the speculation though.
0: Yeah, and yeah, And yeah, I
1: do yeah. really like the idea that there might be different versions of space-time. Oh, yeah. In different worlds. Yeah. Because that's just that just makes this all super interesting. Mm.
2: Hmm. Yeah. So and also there's you.
1: no reason it would be consistent because the whole point is you know, if you've got little quantum changes going on then yeah. maybe something in the laws of physics could be different between worlds
0: I don't know enough hmm. to agree or disagree with that mm. but thank you very much Joe for the question yes. slash comment slash general mind melting thoughts <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: so we got another email from listener Patricia
0: hi, hi Patricia. Patricia
1: Ah, that's good, go again, yeah. one, two, three hi, hi Patricia, Patricia. Oh, hi! <laughs> getting more and more creepy. Again, more ponderings, I would say, than just direct question, which yeah. we like more. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I really like this, because it kind of cuts through the various machinations and complexities we've just been going through for the, the past couple of questions. Yeah. Which is basically, could it just simply be that Coulter's speed getting to the Himalayas is almost a function of the timeline? So, mm. is it is it perhaps that the book is actually bouncing between kind of future and present. So, Patricia says here that she often has the impression that Mrs Coulter has been in the cave for a while, a couple of weeks maybe, uh, and the first chapter would have been happening while Will is already in Lyra's world. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess Will is slightly further... Ahead. Ahead, yeah. Yeah. Um, And that when we're with Lyra and Coulter in the cave and some of the um, the back-and-forth-through-the-Roger discussions in Lyra's dreams, This isn't necessarily all chronologically linear with Will.
0: I think that's right. There Mm. is something actually, uh, because just before we started recording this episode, I was doing a bit of reading for a couple of chapters time. And Mm -hmm. um, there's something in that which I think proves that. Ah. But I have a lead on a timeline (gasps) for the Amber Spyglass. So I'm going to double check that. But I think Patricia might be right. I think the bits that we've been seeing of Mrs. Coulter and Amma are effectively in the future and happening over a compressed amount of time mm. but have been foreshadowed, not really foreshadowed, but, you know, um, explained before they are actually happening in comparison to the rest of the characters' storylines mm. so that there's more drama, basically, Yeah, uh, when everything kind of reconnects and all the timelines...
1: Yeah, Kumbalès. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Does that mean though that there's some bit of Coalesce, Mrs. Coulter... Not
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe.
1: Um, Does that mean there's some bit of Mrs. Coulter's timeline that is just missing in the book? So we have yes. a gap between her yes. taking Lyra.
0: But that would be her travelling. And then for it's just
1: a couple of weeks. It would be
0: just her travelling for ages. And then we get
1: the cave. Yeah.
0: So understandable that they cut that out.
1: So that feels kind of you know fairly clear cut. Yeah. I quite like it. Yeah. The other point that. Patricia makes them which moves on from how these worlds and timelines do or do not work together mm-hmm. which is a comment about the sort of dream sequences or the strange conversations between Lyra yeah. and Roger and this actually goes back to a point that I think your parents made maybe your dad yeah I about think so. uh, the effect that being in a long-term coma can have on mm-hmm. people uh, engendering kind of hallucinations and effectively forms of brain damage over time yeah And, yeah, Patricia's point here is that maybe those snippets of conversation are as short as they are or as kind of intermittent as they are because Lyra only gets into that stage when she's at the deepest point of her coma. So maybe Mm -hmm. having just been drugged plus, I don't know, a few hours, gets her into the sort of deepest part of her sleep where maybe her brain uh, starts connecting like this or enters that mode of thought or that mental state. Which I think is very interesting That's cool.
0: really interesting. I quite like that idea. So basically, so she's having that conversation with Roger over several days, basically. Yes, because- But it... she's only coming into that. Well, why isn't Roger like? Where were you? Where have you
1: been? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, we don't really know what the conversation is yet. Mm. This stage and all that stuff. Is it so, all in
0: her head? Um, yeah, exactly. She might be, yeah, creating that illusion. Mm-hmm. Interesting. But, Either that yeah. or, or that's also another part of the story which is spread out when actually it's all only happening over five minutes.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: Um, also, but it's actually been spread out in the book. Mm-hmm. Who knows? But I really like this idea. It's good, isn't
1: it? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, thank you very much for that, Patricia. Uh, lots of interesting stuff. And I like the simplicity of the first point. Really good. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, thanks, Patricia. So we also have now a voice message from a different Patricia. <laughs> Hi, Hi, Patricia. Patricia. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just going to play this now.
2: Hello. Um, So this is a very long, uh, a very strange tangent to have taken, but was listening to your last episode on chapter two of am Spyglass. And Ian said something about flying dog angels, and it immediately took me to the Pixar film Coco, where Miguel and his dog go into the underworld, the, you know, the land of the dead, Dia de los Muertos, et cetera, et cetera. And At the end of the film, the dog becomes this spirit thing, kind of like a demon in the underworld, and he like grows wings and stuff and starts flying around, and he's this essentially a demon to the to the dead people in that film, all of Miguel's ancestors and whoever else is there, all the dead people in like Mexico, um, (laughs) essentially who are Christian and pray to the deities or whatever, and it made me think about if demons go because demons like die when the human dies as well in his dark materials world so roger's demon would have died when he went to the underworld but then it just made me think what happens to animals when they die and do they go to the underworld too like actual animals in like lyra's world and do they go to the, the land of the dead as well it's a very, very strange tangent, but I thought it was so cool that there were so many parallels between His Dark Materials and the animated film Coco, because that's all actually, I think, based on um, real beliefs of those families in um, Latin America who believe in like the Day of the Dead spirits coming, coming back on the Day of the Dead and having the whole festival and stuff. So, yeah. So I just thought it was really interesting. And I know if you wanted to discuss this on the podcast, you wouldn't be able to do it for a while. Then you don't want to be too spoilery and stuff. But anyway, I just thought it was interesting to draw that parallel. And I hope you find it interesting too. Maybe you can look into it some more because it's been a while since I've watched that film. But if you haven't watched it, I would definitely recommend it. It's brilliant.
0: What a question. Mm. I mean, we have actually seen the film, Coco. It was yes. quite a while ago actually that we saw it, yeah, so I, just... I did I did have to re- revise. I did a bit of
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> Pixar re- revision. I was just
1: wondering if that was why you recommended watching it.
0: No, no, no. I think we watched oh. it ages and ages ago. But um, yeah, for anyone who hasn't seen the film, it's basically exactly as Patricia de- de- describes. Mm. They go into a world of the dead, which looks really cool, by the yes. way. Yeah. Um, And there are these spirit animals, these fabulous creations. I think it's really interesting... These questions as well, and these parallels that are being drawn. But first of all, I did do a bit of research into Coco. Thank you, Patricia, for giving me a a reason (laughs) to do more learning about more things. Um, And the creatures in that specifically, so these flying, very colourful, very beautiful looking
2: Mm, spirit spirit animals, I guess.
0: They're these sort of, if you've not seen the film, they're sort of a chimera animal or hybrid animals that fly around the world, of the Dead or the spirit world in the film, acting as a guide to the characters, but I found out, disappointingly, that this is not actually really part of the Day of the Dead traditions oh, in Mexico, which is really disappointing. So
1: just Pixar going, um, we want colourful animals, Well, are in
0: Well, yeah, but then I couldn't find <laughs> many ideas about what the spirit world looked like in general, hmm. so I do think that Pixar had to create a lot. Yeah, the fair. animals are based on something called, that does exist though, called uh, Alebrijes, which are art objects or these beautiful creations by Mexican folk artists which are really popular Mm. and they're often made out of particular kind of soft wood or from paper and they were initially created by a guy called Pedro Linares who had uh, a background in his family as a piñata maker hence the kind of use of some Mm. of the same materials Yes. Yeah. But he fell quite ill when he was young and spent a long time in a fever dream, Mm. more parallels to his (laughs) dark materials, uh, in which he imagined this vivid and strange world where loads of mismatched, mushed-up creatures, you know, for example, part jaguar, part owl, or Mm. part snake, Mm -hmm. or whatever. um, And he named them after the noise that they made in his dream and set about trying to recreate them physically when he got better. And initially they were quite horrifying and scary because that was the vibe of this horrible dream that he'd been having or set of dreams that'd he been having but then uh when he saw that the more colorful and appealing he made them the more intriguing people found them a whole new art form was born and you can see amazing versions of this or people who have mm. great collections and that's what the spirit animals in coco were based on
2: right uh,
0: because mm. of some of the animators or designers were obsessed with these yeah, yeah. things before they started working on the film So I quite like how it sounds like a complete opposite of Lyra's fever dream, which is just gray. Gray And and also the alibrucae are seen to represent air. Mm. So I quite like the possible link to demons there in this idea that the demons seem to dissipate, often being described as drifting into the air or the wind Mm. or the breeze. When the human
1: dies. When the human
0: dies, yeah. Yeah. Um, As for animals, it's a really good question about what happens to them after they die. I guess we know that there are not just humanoid conscious beings for a start. So we know that the malefa that we've met so far yeah. are conscious
1: and, gallivespians. and gallivespians. They're humanoid, I suppose, but... Yeah.
0: So the, you um, would expect the
1: scrumping uh, cider-making kangaroos in Australia.
0: <laughs> Stop mentioning the kangaroos, Ian.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Um, so Lyra just seeing forms of people around seems quite odd to be honest if this is really the world of the dead that she's envisioning but maybe Mm. maybe it's not maybe she is just imagining at this point and therefore she's only imagining what she knows or what would be familiar to her
1: I think I would guess that animals go nowhere because of the kind of Hints that we got from Pullman about a qualitative difference from humans yeah. to everything else, or conscious beings like humans to everything else. So with Mulefa, they're described as being very different to the grazing animals. Mm. You know, they almost couldn't be more different. You know, they, they clearly have this intelligence or this awareness that humans do that I don't know other animals don't. Yeah. But that does feel a bit harsh. And yeah, also, you know, it like does... spectrum of intelligence, mm. I don't think there is some cliff edge where humans are suddenly. Oh look. Yeah, that's exactly
0: Um, what I thought about as well when I started pondering this, because I was like, well, it does seem like that classic thing of, we humans are different to other animals, and therefore we're exceptional, Mm. Um, which is a little bit complicated, because chimpanzees are really intelligent, bonobos have amazing emotional intelligence, Mm. for example, dolphins have different dialects that they speak Mm -hmm. in, like, where where do you draw the line, basically? Um, I find that very interesting. And even if it's about self-consciousness, there's various... Um, I can't remember what it's called when human babies develop the ability to recognize themselves. Hmm. Uh, I don't remember what the exact test is called, but animals do pass that test. Yes. And if it's about being conscious of yourself as an entity, mm-hmm. then lots of animals will pass that test. And they should be in the world of the dead. I'm going to say they would be in the world of the dead. Anyone who could recognize themselves in a mirror and not like try and fight it.
1: That's the line, is it? That's
0: the line. Okay. I'm saying arbitrarily. That's my head canon. If you could put a mirror in front of a being and <laughs> them not be like, "Hey, you talking to me?" <laughs> then they yeah. make it into the world of the dead. Nice. So oh, that's my that. answer, Patricia. <laughs> Don't <laughs> know if it's what you're looking for. <laughs> but thank you for the great question and for the voice note. We do. We yeah, do thanks enjoy a lot. Voice
1: yeah, voice notes great. Voice notes. That tip to anyone out there. Yeah. Occasional voice note. Yeah, send, send really it, send us. Nice.
0: It's all good. So we also had a comment from Maddie Hello. hi maddie ha. hi uh on instagram as well who mentioned recently when uh, she was catching up on episodes that she imagines the seed pods as like a red blood cell in shape oh which right, is a yeah, way yeah. better description than a coconut donut peach yes. so well done there maddie yeah. <laughs> and also just a shout out there congratulations maddie on your new little son peter and congratulations Patricia on becoming an auntie because it's the best yeah congrats being an auntie is the best mm-hmm. uh, i mean you know congratulations maddie as well but
1: yeah. <laughs>
0: i prefer the role of auntie tag,
1: no responsibility <laughs> yep congratulations okay we'll continue the theme of slightly short and sharp yeah so we got another recommendation i guess um, yeah recommendation or another point of comparison from listener kathy
0: Hi
1: Kathy. Okay, Kathy. Sorry, I wasn't ready. It's <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. We're gonna leave it. We're leaving it. Imperfection is perfection. Yeah, and and the comparison was basically to something that I've never seen before You've or, never or read. Seen. No. Um, is it a film? Yeah. Yes. Uh, adaptation and a book. of a book called A Neverending Story by Michael Ende. Ende? I don't know Ender. how
0: you pronounce that
1: name. But yeah. So no, I haven't seen it. And fucking hell, it's weird. When I looked up the YouTube video, so it's what a seventies or an eighties? It's an
0: eighties film, I um, think, or it might be early nineties. I definitely watched it, it, it as a it's, kid.
1: It's pre well, CGI, or certainly pre good CGI. Don't just know what the you're talking about. Dodgy <laughs> the and flying
0: dog dragon is yes, the best in.
1: And like weird costume, monster design things, very very strange. I'm but,
0: sure you will have seen it. It was a really popular film when we were kids.
1: Slightly, mm, not, maybe it's slightly yeah, too about old about your age, but uh, you know slightly before older, my time. Maybe.
0: Maybe I only watched it because my brother watched it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Sister, One of them. The the name rings a bell, but anyway, it's about a kid's. Um, is it like an imaginary world? It's this little boy who's exploring uh, this well never-ending story of uh, a sort of fantastical realm that he's moving through, and, and the film mm-hmm. kind of well captures his journey through this never-ending story. And I like the comparison to a multi-world uh, kind of universe where once this once this child enters the other world, he comes across all these fantastical beings and. I don't know, sort of strangeness, but links to kind of the real world and uh, how our universe exists. But I don't know if it's like his Dark Materials, at least that film, (laughs) very very weird, very trippy. We're
0: going to have to watch it, Ian.
1: Yes, well maybe. It is a classic. Is it a classic? It's a classic, yeah. Hmm. So, yeah, I mean, th- thanks for the recommendation. I enter this one with a little bit more trepidation than the others because <laughs> it just looked batshit crazy. Uh, but yeah, I-, I will check out Never Ending Story. Yeah. At least the book, if not the film. Don't know how hard I can lean into that film.
0: <laughs> well, I feel like the film will be Struck easier to do bizarre. than watching. No, watching the film will be easier than reading the book, surely.
1: Maybe. Depends how bad the film is. <laughs> oh,
0: it could be fun bad, you know? Mm. Mm. Yeah, thanks, Cathy. Thank you. So, we also got an email from Suzanne. Hi Suzanne. Ah. Uh, oh, hi Suzanne. Gave gave me shit for that. Who <laughs> um, got in touch with like loads of really interesting stories, so we we loved it. So it started off with a comment about the idea of photographing the dead, which we oh, mentioned yeah. based on a quote from Emily Dickinson. I think it was an intro to one of the chapters. Yes. And this there was, was this the tradition of photographing child. dead yeah. children, and Suzanne got in contact saying it was really popular in the late eighteen hundreds. Uh, especially in the United States, as a way that family could capture one last moment with a loved one, which I think is very interesting. And maybe it's like mm. more weird that we have a weird relationship to death these days mm-hmm. than looking back on this and saying, well, that that's weird. But anyway. And Suzanne mentioned there's a BBC show based on this whole strange fad called Dead Still, which I really want to watch. Mm. It's got some really good actors in actually. I did have a look at a trailer but I can't find where to watch it because weirdly it seems to be only available on BBC America not on BBC BBC Mm -hmm. so And it's
1: about what, these photographs?
0: Yeah, it's sort of a fictional story about people who photograph dead people okay all right as mm. part of that craze mm-hmm. and Suzanne who is a pediatrician also uh shared some stories about inspired by the part where the monkey is pulling apart the bat in the cave uh, yeah, that's which is right. really horrible I think we talked a bit in that episode about this link that you hear about a lot in terms of people especially serial killers or people go on to do something very violent or dangerous having a tendency to start out on animals before they start hurting mm-hmm. people or mm-hmm. humans and Suzanne did share some stories some pretty horrible stories about her experience with that and, and not her of direct of experience not, <laughs>
1: as, well, as a no isn't oh, right, not she's, yeah yeah she's with, not with her patients <laughs>
0: um which was very interesting and also for people who've seen the tv series there is if you don't want spoilers skip ahead two minutes now, but there is a scene between uh, Mrs. Coulter and Lee Scoresby where Mrs. Coulter discusses or refers to potentially being abused as a child, Mm. and Suzanne did say that that was something that she saw quite commonly as a link, so I thought all that was really interesting, Mm. Um, and again, we have to think about Golden Monkey and Mrs. Coulter as the same person, and think about that in all of all of this complicated stuff and mm. um, also in her work uh suzanne traveled to africa where she visited tribes as the first white person that they'd ever seen to much amazement from their side uh, where she was there to vaccinate against polio and measles as well as give some basic medical training um to make sure the children there were mm. were safe from fires and stuff and similar to mary she found that there's definitely an easy way or a common language that can be found or a way to communicate in humor so i think yeah. when she was going through that chapter with us where mary's trying to communicate with them we left her and we just end up just laughing at each other mm. um mm. that really rung true as something that she'd had as an experience herself in trying to communicate with people when she didn't speak any of their language and they didn't speak any of hers so mm. i really like that as a is a commonality so yeah, thank yeah, yeah. you very much suzanne for sharing your wonderful experiences with us yeah, it's It was great to hear them
1: hmm Okay, we've got a uh, pair now to mm-hmm. round off this Q&A. Yeah, as uh, is traditional. As is tradition. Uh, starting with an email from your mum.
0: Yeah, hi mum.
1: Hey! <laughs> uh, where, I mean basically Amy, the, the opening line here is that you've let me down badly. I know. Now I don't remember the context of this quite well enough so I'm going to give you a free pass here and say that I assume we both just let each other down? I don't know if you were supposed to tell me something. No. Whatever. We were talking a few uh, episodes back with Patzin Tulku's cure that he gives to Ama as a as a way of waking up Lyra where he gained his fame as a healer for curing white fever, uh, yeah. you a know, disease that had struck the villages in the area around this part of the Himalayas. Uh, and I was saying there's no such thing as white fever, couldn't find anything on, on the Googles. Uh, except, and I
0: just agreed with you.
1: Yeah so you know that's as far as I got really. But yeah Amy's mom says here it's quite possible that leprosy was known as white fever uh, because having kind of a paler skin is an obvious sign of that disease in particular because it was contagious it created a lot of fear and you know with the disfiguration that comes from leprosy it obviously led to leper colonies and people being isolated and yeah ostracized from their communities but these kind of pale patches of skin could have been much more evident in people with you know deep tan like in the himalaya Mm. uh so it might well be that white fever could be a kind of common term for an outbreak of leprosy, which is kind of interesting.
0: Which makes sense, and I think I did after my mum shamed me into it. I think I did look it up, and I think that is a real term for white for, for leprosy. Mm-hmm. Like if you actually pair those two, it comes to yes. up together. But if you just look for white fever, then nothing comes yeah, up, yeah. which is annoying. But the particular moment of shame was that my great aunt Anne had. Lived in Tibet and also worked with a uh, leper hospital there. So I should have known those things. No, I see. And we'll she re- wrote a book about it. And you know, and
1: she wrote a whole book called yeah, White Fever. I know, I know.
0: White Fever, <laughs> this is for Amy in like, you know, however many years' time. Please read this. That was the yeah, title yeah, yeah. of the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're ever making a podcast about his dark materials, you must read this book, was the title. And I didn't. So, right. well, you, know, you let me down severely. Sorry, Aunt Anne. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. But interesting. Uh, I didn't know that was a link, and it's very cool to, well, not cool, but interesting, to know that leprosy, you know, was kind of rife in in the Tibetan part of the Himalayas, and that there could be this link to Pazing Tubu.
0: Yeah, cool. well, there is. It is something that's I've been aware probably via my great aunt actually. Mm, maybe that yeah. was uh, that was a thing in the, that particular area mm-hmm. in Nepal and in Tibet. Um, in particular. I don't know why. I did try to have a look into why that is, but I'm not entirely sure why it was such a big thing there. Mm. Um, I think it's still quite a big problem there, and I think part of it is that people who have it are still ostracized, and it's a big kind of cultural problem with Mm. treatment. Mm -hmm. But yeah, anyway, thanks mum. Thanks (laughs) for publicly shaming me. Yeah, thanks. (laughs) Well actually you didn't publicly shame me, we just chose to make it public, but you know, anyway. (laughs) We also got a message from my dad about the gyropter, Mm. Uh, because there is actually, different to the type of gyropter which I described, which was the one with a single blade, Mm. there is actually a different type of craft called a gyropter, which works in a completely different way, which is featured in the Bond film You Only Live Twice, and it was called Little Nelly, and it was just something called an auto-gyro. I don't 100% understand how it works, but the idea is that the angle of the rotors on the top of the craft provide lift in a similar way that a glider's wing does, Rather than a helicopter, which forces air down from above the rotors to provide mm-hmm. upward lift, so basically it's it looks a bit like a helicopter, but it works fundamentally differently. So mm. you can't do a vertical takeoff; you have to use like a like a runway, like an like an okay. aircraft would. Okay. So yeah, it's really cool, and um, we'll post a clip of the machine in action in this really random little scene in *You <sighs> Only Live Twice*, where it's basically this tiny little helicoptery thing flying around with James Bond in, and he's just. It's quite a weirdly boring film. I don't know if it's just I haven't watched a Bond film for a while and pacing of action films is very different, but it's just him flying around an island being like, nothing to see here,
2: nothing (laughs) to see here
0: either, and then he lands back at the base. (laughs) It's a really weird scene. That sounds
1: high-octane, But
0: if you want to... Oh, no, he does get attacked at one point, actually. But if you do (laughs) want to see what this craft looks like, then uh, we can recommend this slightly boring clip from Mm. um, an action film.
1: Cool. Well, I think that brings us to the end of the questions that don't contain spoilers. Yeah. The exercise of this is still quite difficult. So, apologies, anyone, if we have accidentally introduced any spoilers. No,
0: I don't think we have. Our own chronology,
1: a bit like Pullman's, is not necessarily (laughs) 100% on. Yeah. We're
0: just just from a different world. We didn't know that there were spoilers in this. Yeah, yeah, time time operates differently
1: in this one. We just cut through from somewhere else. (laughs) Yeah. We're we're
0: like seven chapters ahead. (laughs) Brilliant.
1: But yeah if you want to get in touch if you've got questions comments suggestions recommendations parallels etc <laughs> please do uh, we're always open to this kind of things it injects a, a new perspective on stuff and definitely gives us things that we've never considered to chew over so yeah
0: yeah well i think that brings us to the end of this episode of the dark material podcast thanks for joining us if you're not ready to step back into your own world yet please visit our website at thedarkmaterialpodcast.com and our patreon page at patreon.com forward slash dark material podcast
1: You can also hit us up on your Lodestone Resonators through Facebook at The Dark Material Podcast, Twitter at Dark Material Pod, and Instagram at The Dark Material Podcast. If you want to cut through to our world directly with questions or comments, we're also available at thedarkmaterialpodcast at gmail.com. If you're enjoying The Dark Material Podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. It helps other fans of His Dark Materials find the show.
0: A special thanks to James Bassard at Cameroulette on Instagram and Claire Wicks at Claire Wicks on Twitter for the music on the Dart Material podcast. We'll see you next time for our usual read along episodes, and until then, don't forget to tell them stories.